to another episode of Ales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living. And I am excited to be joined for the first time in studio by a real live sales rep from another company. I'm joined by Matt. Uh, Matt, say hi to the group. Hi, group. This is Matt <laughs> Caldwell filling in for Mark Lampson this morning. Oh, there we go. There we go. So today's topic is going to be super fun because it's it's all about other-centered reasoning through the eyes of a real live sales rep. And Matt's got a great story that we're going to get into. But first, we always start every episode of Ales with Aslan with the ale. So uh, let's see. Matt, you have something over there. I think I've seen that one before. Uh, what do you got? What are you going to consume this fine day? So I'm, I'm somewhat limited on my selection of beer because I am gluten-free. Oh, okay. Uh, my daughter was diagnosed with celiacs a couple years ago, and since then we've been a gluten-free household, and that uh, that kind of limits my, my choices when it comes to ales. But Corona, I believe, is made with corn instead of wheat and bottled in Mexico. So How about that? According to Google, it has less than 20 parts per million, and that makes it safe for me to drink. There we go. Well, I... We've just done a nice sales job for Corona. I did not know that. So all of you out there that are gluten-free, you have uh, a way to still consume a healthy beverage. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So you got that. Is that tasting good to you? Yep. Let me take a sip here. Uh, get my feet in the sand in Mexico somewhere. I know. Change your whole latitude. Look at that. All right. Well, I'm going to crack something I have never seen or heard before. I just found it at my local uh, my local store. It's called the <laughs> In. Hop Nito. Uh, there's a gentleman on the cover. He's got a dark trench coat, dark glasses, dark hat. In Hop Nito American India Pale Ale. It's from a company called Berkshire Brewing Company. And I am uh, I'm excited about this. Oh, that's delicious. And for anybody worried that we're not actually drinking, no, we are consuming beer during this podcast. Absolutely, and no, no lab animals were hurt in the construction of this podcast. So I know um, we're a little sad at the beginning of this podcast. So we, we have to say goodbye to a, a very good friend of ours, uh, and let's have a toast to a guy named BJ Chalemi. Toast to BJ. Toast to BJ. We, uh, we heard uh, recently that um, through some strange accident, BJ passed away at the age of, I think, 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we worked with him. Uh, Matt and I go way back to our days at APC. BJ was one of our sales reps there uh, when Mark Lampson and I were part of the call center management team and Matt was coming up and uh, BJ was one of his teammates. And it's just super sad to lose somebody that early and uh, just attribute uh, what I've seen on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, to his life. What an amazing courageous man he was uh, and what a tremendous selling career he had. I don't know if Matt you have any stories. Yeah just, just the energy and passion that BJ brought to the team. We, we met him when we were on the government team and he handed the um, South Central government accounts over to me and um, I've got a million stories about him but one thing that stands out I was through all the Facebook memories that people had there's a picture of him with just a sash of 50 um, you know, dry erase markers across <laughs> his chest in front of yeah. a whiteboard. That's just kind of the personality he had. Didn't take himself too seriously and just live life to the fullest. And uh, he'll be missed for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really will be. And all the old APC people that worked with him, I've seen, you know, kind of coming out on social media and just tributes. And uh, so uh, we're, we're very sorry to see him go. We know he's in a better place. And we, uh, we, um, are super grateful that we had the opportunity to work with with him and, and live with him for a while. So let's uh, transition to, 
you know, being other-centered in a sales role through the eyes of someone that's kind of done it for their career. Tell us a little bit about your career. And I know you've, you, you, you're kind of going to get into the fact that you've sold transactional products at APC. You've been in, you know, a more complex sale. And you've also, you've kind of been in the, ent- the sort of the executive, um, you know, uh, relationship type of selling as well. Take us through a little bit about your career and then let's knock those off kind of one by one and, and the differences that exist. Yeah, I guess kind of starting where um, I met you and Mark back in the, the CST of APC, you yeah. know, 15, 17 years ago, whatever that was. Right. Um, where we were in the other side of the Aslan training, right? Um, they were coming in and it was my first sales training. So I kind of the first one that, you know, sticks with you. I've probably had uh, half a dozen or a dozen sales training since then. And um, they all have similarities, but I, I think Aslan really stood out in one very particular way and that's in a lot of them were more focused on finding the pain point and twisting the knife right yeah which which didn't really feel natural for me and I always compared those future sales trainings back to Aslan and what kind of set the foundation for you know my my sales career which was taking the journey with the customer and being other centered and putting yourself in the shoes of you know the person that you're selling to and i found that throughout my career that mindset has put me on the same side of the table yeah as my customers and maybe not everybody in the customer's organization but i found those individuals whether they be the decision maker or an influencer that i'm helping them achieve their goals and helping them navigate through the external value chain that they need to get through but also kind of um, championing my cause through their organization to help them reach their goals. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's very well said. I mean, I, I, I too had been through, I don't know, a dozen sales trainings before Aslan came in and I felt the same exact thing that you're talking about. It was a, many of them were a change in vocabulary or, you know, tactics or things to, to do to sort of trick customers into buying versus this other centered approach where you're actually kind of partnering with them arm in arm to help them solve their problems. And it's a much different way to do it, isn't it? It is. And I mean, I'm N of one. I think you talked about the statistical significance of this on the, on the last one. So this is one data point. And maybe that maybe that works. Maybe it works in the short run. And I think the motivation for a lot of those sales trainings, like how do we move the needle this month, this quarter, this year? Whereas the other centered reasoning is building relationships that are going to follow you throughout your sales uh, career and also elevate your organization in the mindset of your customer where they're going to know, okay, you know, he came in, he educated us, he did what he said he was going to do, and now we've got a similar project, we're going to go back to him. And, you know, if you're doing everything for the right reasons, that's the kind of mentality that um, a relationship you're going to have with your clients. That's such a key point because I think sometimes we forget, yes, we're representing ourselves as an individual salesperson, but we represent this entire company that, that's behind us as well. And if, if we're using tactics and things like, you know, I used to work for a software company where it was all tactics. It was like guerrilla sales tactics. This You were attacking the client. You were <laughs> You were, you know, you had to win the battle over the uh, the client's wallet, and and I just never thought that felt right. Similar to what you were talking about um, in some of the tactics you learned before Aslan. So, you know, your career is is has got some robustness to it, right? Because you've been you started out at APC, which I think you'd admit provided a great sort of foundation for you. You had that job in the government where you start to get into those 
more uh, relational type sellings and a lot of different uh, uh, things that go on in that type of sale. But take us through that evolution from a transactional salesperson mm -hmm. to something more complex. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to talk about that here because you know a lot of the sales trainings that you have and a lot of um, the literature that's out there kind of paints all sales into one box right? yeah, yeah and it and from my own experience and and if you put yourself in the your customer's shoes it there are different types of sales right if it's a transactional sale if the customer for the most part is going to buy something and they know for the most part what they want it's really about just removing barriers to the customer and building rapport um you know making sure they're getting the right product but making that process of buying as seamless as possible make it easy to do business with your organization you know don't get too wrapped up into you know how does this purchase of a one kva ups fit into the organizational goals of you know your fortune 50 customer yeah you know and try to work yourself up through the value chain because you know you're wasting a lot of time and and you're not providing the value when you're doing that now if you're talking about you know a 20 megawatt data center now it, it it's worth your time and worth the customer's time to take that journey with them you know tie it into top level organizational goals and and make sure you're getting buy-in at the right level of the organization but um you know th there's different type of approaches and i've done it you know all those different levels in my career from you know, just single UPSs on the CST floor to, yeah. you know, fleets of single phase UPSs to, you know, complex data center solutions to, you know, executive relationships and um, MRL and Siemens. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you, you, you hit on something there. It's almost like know your place given the products that you're representing. Know your place in the sort of value chain, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're selling transactional products, don't try to blow that up into something more than what it is. But always trying to add value to whomever that, that person is. So if, if it's a transactional product, maybe the person you're calling on is, you know, a purchasing agent or, you know, some, some person. Putting yourself in their shoes and what's important to them may be different than what's very important to an executive. And we can get into that, you know, as well. Um, so I, I like the way you sort of separate that uh, mm -hmm. into different, different sort of compartments, right? Yeah, and then um, kind of moving it up the, the value chain of, um, you know, where I've been in my career. So I think a good example, a template that maybe uh, other sales reps might be able to, to gain value from was when I was out in California and I was given my own set of enterprise accounts that really hadn't been cultivated. Um, you know, there was that transactional business. There were bids that were out on the street that we could respond to. But um, really where we started moving the needle was when we got into demand generation, right? Because if a bid was already out on the street, you're talking about a Me Too product. Right. Um, yeah. The decision makers are procurement. They're just checking the boxes. Does this meet the, the specifications that have been given to me as the, you know, no offense to them, but they don't really know what they're buying. As long as it checks the box and makes sense, yeah. they're good with it. Yeah. Um, so what, and I'll give a shout out to Keith McGinley and Brad Schulteis is kind of my wingman in this. Um, we would go out to these, these military bases, get out ahead of a pro, uh, project where maybe we had a 20 or 30% success rate if it was already out on the street. Yeah. We were going in, talking to the real decision makers that had to, you know, be in that data center, interact with that equipment on a daily basis. And our foot in the door was, let us just give you a free assessment of what you got today. Yeah. And for the most part, they knew. Um, they knew this UPS is old and probably needs to be replaced, but it's not going to be hitting 
the top of their priority list yeah. because they've got several other things that they need to do. But an hour of their time for us to come in and take a look at what they've got isn't asking too much, especially if we can get on base, which for uh, for government clients is, you know, if, if you can get in here, then fine. Yeah, I'll give you an hour of my time to, to talk to me and my team. Um, and, and what we do, I, I would... I'd be the driver on the way back, you know, two or three hours back to Orange County, and Keith would sit in the passenger seat with his laptop and update our, you know, we had about a 20-page report that we'd give the customer, and a lot of it was cut and paste because a lot of the problems that we were seeing were similar across data sure, centers. Sure, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. you know, from the customer's perspective, they knew they had a problem. They didn't really know what to do with it. We came in, developed this report, gave them a, a budget pricing for each of the aspects of the project, um, Keith would finish his part on the drive home, email it over to me. I'd you know do an executive summary on the first sheet, put in the logo of whatever base we were on, and send it to the customer that night. And they'd be like, this is great. So we were providing them information that they could act on going forward, right? So, Yeah, I mean, I can see the value add throughout that story, right? Because you... Not only are you just helping the guy that's checking the boxes, and you got to do that part when it's a when it's a three bids and a buy scenario. Mm-hmm. That's just part of the game, right? But if you can get to the decision maker, and I love how you you offer a free assessment or or offer a way to educate, uh, and if you can get that, that's a tremendous value as well. And then I think the last thing you said is just a a really timely response, right? So yeah. getting things while it's fresh in their head, right back. And I think there's there's other centered lace throughout that entire scenario, helping them to make the best decision that they can for their for their company, in this case, the government. Uh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. So so we kind of talk about transi- transactional selling, and that's a much more complex sale that's that's moving up the, the, the value chain, mm-hmm. if you will. Take us to the to the next step, because I know your career has 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 progressed through all these steps, but take us through, you know, um, other other aspects of, of where you've had success. Yeah, so I mean, I've had all these sales trainings. I've been successful in you know various levels of um, of selling, and got into you know that next level up of you know the executive relationship yeah. between. I was covering Hewlett Packard for uh, for Siemens, hmm. and you know there there were you know I was managing the account through our branches, so there was a lot of transactional business going on. But then there were organizational wide uh, programs that we were driving at a global level. And I was responsible for uh, for putting together the executive uh, briefing deck for Joe Kayser, the CEO of Siemens, who's meeting with uh, Meg Whitman, uh, the CEO of uh, Hewlett Packard at the time. And you know that gave me a little bit of visibility because you know at the end of the day, when you get to that level of two Fortune 50 companies communicating with each other, it's more about balance of trade and the relationship between the two organizations. And that trickles down in programs and projects. Um, but if you're that branch, sit, and I was kind of in the middle, so I had visibility up the chain to yeah. the fact that they're meeting on a you know biannual basis. But I also had visibility of the branch guys that are putting together quotes for you know a single BMS system. And I think it gets lost somewhere along the line. You know that that BMS sales guy could be doing everything right, do every single thing that yeah. Aslan or some other sales training has to say. But at the end of the day, if Siemens is buying Dell servers instead of HP servers, that can derail everything. And right. you as a sales rep could be banging your head on the wall being like, you know, I did everything right. I, you know, use other centered reasoning. I did, you know, this. I took the journey. I discovered whatever. But at the end of the day, there was just a organizational push to, you know, hey, $10 million of business needs to go from this organization to this 
this supplier because we're going to sell $100 million of servers to yeah. them. And it really doesn't matter what you do at the ground level at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I you know, we, we deliver this, in a, you know, this training a lot to organizations and this comes up from time to time. And what we always reflect back on is if you're the sales rep in that scenario, who, who, who do we control? We control ourselves. We control mm-hmm. our reaction to that and how we react to that. You know, that's, that's, this is where the trust that goes on inside of an organization where we're truly valued is a very, you know, fair conversation for you to have with your leader to say, how can I do anything to impact this? And the answer is I can't. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that, that's a conversation to, to switch territories or, cha- you know, change some things. But the way you react to that is to is not to blame, right? You probably heard Mark's uh, the earthquake comment a couple podcasts ago about, you know, the, the guy on the West Coast that said we didn't make our goal because we had an earthquake. Well, yeah, a lot of things go into us not making our goal. The idea of making excuses is is not part of what we what we you know uh, want in in sales. We want to take ownership, and I think the story you're telling there is don't blame anybody. That's the reality of that kind of selling role. And there's things outside of our control. Mm-hmm. How do we react to it? How do we you know uh, rebound and do something different? That's that's where the sellers that last a long time really make their bones. Yeah. And, uh, so that's great. So. Anything else on the sort of three levels of selling, or anything else in your career that sort of uh, pulls, you know, pulls at the heartstrings of a of a sales rep? Something that they can learn from. No, I, I think everything that we've been talking about, right? I think you know, like like we were just talking about, some things are outside of your control. Yeah, for sure. At the end of the day, if you're doing things for the right reason, if you're being other centered, if you're putting yourself in the customer's shoes, taking the journey with them, and getting yourself on the same side of the, if you feel that you're on the opposite side of the table. Arguing with your customer, um, drop the rope, you know, to use an Aslan term, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, figure out what what their uh, motivations are. Uh, figure out how you can best serve them, how can you, you can best help them. And, you know, it may help you in that immediate sale. It'll definitely help you in developing that relationship. And it will most definitely help you throughout your career, whether, you know, be 20, 30, 40 years of selling. I, I think it's it's very valuable uh, feedback, and I think a lot of folks out there, uh, you know, find themselves in these scenarios, and that's that's super helpful. Um, so my last question, and um, this has been awesome, by the way. I love I love uh, re- reconnecting with you after all these years. But um, you know, your career has been amazing. You've done lots of different things. You've you've learned lots of different things. You've sold different products in different types of of scenarios with different types of companies. So how is a guy like you a free agent right now? Tell, tell me this quick story of like what took place to put you out there as an eligible bachelor in the world of selling. Well, hold on. Let me take another swig of my Corona. <laughs> um, kind of back to your point about the, the earthquake in, uh, in California and, you know, that's outside of your control as a sales point, uh, yeah. salesman. You got to take responsibility for it though, yeah. right? There's going to be things missteps that you take in your career and you got to own them and you know take some time to reflect and understand what you can learn from uh, from that experience so uh, I've been successful with two larger organizations and got the call and asked if hey you want to be a big fish in a small pond and come over to uh, to run the data center team for a, for a BMS integrator and uh, you know there were a lot of things I, I should have asked that you know I felt I was in over my head but that's kind of commonplace for me I've Throughout my career, I've been moving up through the ranks. I always felt like I was in over my head and then somehow figured it out. But um, didn't ask enough questions on the, on the front end of it. I think I made some assumptions that uh, they had some things figured out. 
And uh, what I ran into were some structural hurdles that, uh, you know, no matter what I did, um, wasn't going to be overcome. Yeah. And um, the lesson there was really that, you know, take the time when you're looking to make a change. Don't be afraid to make a change. Take risks. Um, you know, I don't regret doing it. Um, I think I learned a lot through the process. Um, but ask the questions and uh, ask several questions. You know, don't be afraid because you're the one interviewing to really vet out the company yeah, that, I think that's that a great you're talking point. to. Yeah. Um, and, and I was able, and the second kind of takeaway, you know, I've had a couple months here to reflect on, uh, on my last experience for the past year at that smaller company. Um, you know, there were some things, assumptions that I made going into it that made it very difficult to scale the regional model that they had out to a, uh, an enterprise national role. But then when I saw some, uh, you know, window of sunshine to kind of turn it around and, and actually had some success probably the last six months I was there, I did that kind of on my own and um, I didn't tie back into the executive team and let them know that, hey, you know, I know things haven't been working up till this point. Here's a little bit of success we've been having these last six months, but here's my forecast. Here's what I think we can do with these new programs, kind of taking a different approach and going that way. And I think I did that more so because I wanted to prove it out before yeah. I, I had that conversation. Yeah. Um, and I was afraid that if I had the conversation too early, but end of the day, uh, ran out of runway, yeah. they went a different direction. No hard feelings. I think we both made some assumptions going into it that didn't pan out. But um, you live and you learn. We're, we don't live in communist Russia. They don't throw you in the gulag and cut your hands off, right? You're, right. They give you a nice severance package and say, hey, good luck to you. <laughs> well, and I think it's it's such a valuable lesson. I mean, I, I think about this all the time that when you're a sales rep and you're, you're selling yourself into a new job, um, the same process, the same other-centered approach, the same take the trip, right? I mean, understanding what that business is looking for and are you a fit? And and being able to admit that I might not be the right sales guy for certain companies, right? Mm-hmm. I might not be the right fit. And, you know, maybe you got into that one and didn't learn that right away. And by the way, I, I don't look at any of these decisions and it sounds like you're the same way. I've made mistakes in my career. I've taken jobs I shouldn't have taken. And you look back and you go, was it a mistake? I would say no. I mean, I think you learn from everything and it's what led you to here, right? And so, you know, as, as you think about what's next for you and you're going to have tons of options. If anybody wants to find out more about Matt, get on his LinkedIn page. He's got a great video up that sort of gives you a little bit of a video resume about where he's headed and where he's been. And, and that, that'll probably help you make a decision whether he might be a fit for a selling job in your organization. But, you know, it's all about uh, the approach you take and the other-centered sort of person that you've become. Yeah, and I think I, I've been become a better interviewee as a result of, of that experience because I've been having a lot of you know phone interviews recently. Right. And I've talked myself out of most of the jobs. Yeah. You know, I'll talk to them like, hey, what are you looking for? Hey, we're looking for somebody with a deep you know, experience in cyber, uh, cybersecurity sales. Okay, well, you know, I have sales and apply that to cybersecurity, but if you're looking for somebody with that background, I'm not going to bullshit you and say that, you know, my software experience selling infrastructure yeah. is going to apply to yeah. that, right? You want to sit, if you want a Cisco guy that has 10 years experience with cybersecurity, that's what you should be looking <laughs> for. You don't, I'm, it's not going to serve you or I for me to jump into that role. 
if you have a team of cybersecurity experts and you're looking for an executive sales guy yeah. to pull those resources in, I could probably fill that role for yeah. you. And that's kind of where I've been. I, I've been, not that I've ever been dishonest, I've been more honest with myself recently about my own limitations when I talk about that. Yeah. And not afraid to tell somebody like, you know, what are your weaknesses? Well, as it applies to this job, here's what I see my weaknesses are. And I'm not going to not gonna sugarcoat it and say like, oh, my weakness is, you know, I, I work too hard or some bullshit like that. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love those. I love those. Well, this has been great. I mean, I do think I think in summary, this this is super valuable to, to sales reps everywhere, and maybe even some sales leaders as they think about the process of getting the right people in the right jobs. Um, you know, the idea of people that have been through the different types of roles, the transactional, the, the the complex, the executive relationship types of roles. You know, using that other centered process, that other centered selling that that is foundational in, in how you sell. Um, in any one of those opportunities is applicable, right? That's 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 what we try to teach at Aslan. It sounds like you've had very good success with that. I know you're going to land on your feet. You're going to have a great job here in the next couple months, and I'm super excited for you and look forward to staying in touch with you. For those of you listening, make sure you drop a comment down below and, and like us and share us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, tell us what you want to hear about in future podcasts. I'd love to have more guests from outside the four walls of Aslan. I love this. Hopefully you love it too, and we look forward to many more episodes of Ales with Aslan. Enjoy the beer, and have a great week selling. Take care, everybody.